the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, a winner. It won't be this time. The stories. Brucott to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website, and your host for the See You at the Game podcast. Welcome to a special episode of the podcast. I am joined today by Tim Shannon, an attorney and CU buff from the Boulder Law Firm of Hutchinson, Black, and Cook. The HBC firm specializes in sports law, and I'm grateful to Tim for taking the time to talk with us about name, image, and likeness, and how the brave new world of NIL is affecting CU athletics. Tim opens with a brief but informative history of how we got to where we are today. We discuss the O'Bannon and Alston cases, which led the NCAA to basically concede defeat and leave the schools and states to determine NIL marketplace rules. We then shift to how NIL has evolved from the opening bell on July 1, 2021 to the present. Texas offered its offensive lineman $50,000 apiece. Texas A&M basically bought the highest-rated recruiting class in the history of recruiting services. With all of that being trumped by the Jaden Rashada $13.8 million contract fiasco. But how does all of that affect dear old CU going forward? Coach Prime has insisted that CU is not about the NIL, but the NFL. Will that strategy work, or will it take contributions to CU collectives like Buffs for Life, and Coach Prime's own cachet as a revenue generator to stay in the recruiting and transfer portal game. How is the law firm of Hutchinson, Black & Cook working to help CU student-athletes to get the most of the ever-changing NIL landscape? Let's find out. Okay, and we're back. And we're talking with Tim Shannon, a buff and an attorney in Boulder. Would you uh, like to introduce yourself to the See You at the Game folks and let us know who you are and where you work? Sure. Yeah. So thanks again for having me. Like we were just chatting before you hit record and just a very exciting time to be talking about CU in particular and the ever-changing NIL world. So I'm, I'm excited to be here. My name is Tim Shannon. I work at Hutchinson Black and Cook in the sports law group. We are one of the oldest law firms in Colorado, actually, and have been in Boulder since the late 1890s. So uh, we've been around for a while, part of the community, and we have a ton of alum and super fans and season ticket holders and all that. So I'm excited to be here. Okay. And you're a, a CU alum yourself, at least of the, the law school. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I played baseball at the University of Minnesota for my undergraduate. I was uh, 
what the NCAA always likes to advertise as one of the 98% that goes pro in something other than sports. So <laughs> I can I can vouch for that. Took a couple of years and worked and then went to law school at CU. So that's my uh, my buff tie and fell in love with Boulder like so many other Midwestern transplants. Very good. Okay, well, we're going to talk about NIL, name, image, and likeness, which until a few years ago really wasn't even a phrase that anybody knew. It wasn't even a anything that was just now where it's part of our everyday conversation. So since you're in the sports law field, I was wondering if you could kind of walk us through where NIL came from, what it meant, what it means, and why July 1st of 2021 was kind of the the D-Day of, of name, image, and likeness. Yeah, yeah. And if if you'll bear with me, I like to go back a little ways on the start of it, just because I think it, it seems like such a sudden change, but really the seeds of, of the NIL where we currently are kind of go back almost 10 years at this point. And what I always look at as kind of where things really started to change is back in 2014. This is when if you remember, there was a basketball player named Shabazz Napier at the University of Connecticut. And the, the NCAA got a lot of bad press when he, he had a press conference during the tournament where he said, you know, I go to bed hungry at night. I can't afford to eat. So in 2014, the NCAA first changed the rules and said, now for the first time, student athletes can receive unlimited meals, unlimited snacks that can be paid for by the programs, which I mean, in the landscape we're in now, it seems crazy that wasn't the case. But before that, they really were strict that any benefit above your scholarship to attend the university was improper and could result in your forfeiting your amateur status. Yeah. So that that was in 2014. 2015, the NCAA had a rule change that changed the scholarships from a grant and aid, which again was just the cost of, of tuition and books to what was the full cost of attendance scholarships. And so that was to bridge the gap between what it costs for tuition, for classes, for books, and what it actually costs to live and attend university at at one of these campuses, especially for the many student athletes that come from maybe an economically disadvantaged background. So that that got a lot of press and was a big change, if you remember those, those changes. So that was 2015. And then where things really pick up steam is with the O'Bannon case, which was O'Bannon versus NCAA decided in the Ninth Circuit. And this is 2015. And this was based on Ed O'Bannon, you probably remember, was a UCLA. UCLA, yeah. Yep, a national champion, won the, won the national championship in 1995. And the NCAA used to partner with EA Sports, which was a video game company. And they made these video games, NCAA football, NCAA basketball. and they didn't it's 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 funny to look back at it now because it seems so brazen but they didn't use the players names instead they just used everything but their names so instead of saying connor wood quarterback cu it would be a little animated player that looked exactly like connor wood wore number five and played quarterback and threw right-handed and you know looked right in every way like Connor Wood, but obviously the Connor Woods of the world didn't see any any of the money from those games. Uh, so Ed O'Bannon, he led, he was the named plaintiff in a class action against the NCAA and an antitrust suit saying, this is an unfair restraint on trade. You're using my name, image, and likeness. This is where you'll see that term come in. And the NCAA is profiting from it. 
but the schools have agreed amongst themselves that it would be a violation of the NCAA rules for me to see any of the money from that. So that was 2015 and the, the suit was decided in favor of O'Bannon and, and the other plaintiffs. And of course, rather than continuing forward and changing the rules, what the NCAA did is just stop licensing those video games. So those video games stopped. I think the last one was in 2014. So then things are quiet for a while. And I think the next big step was, if you remember the California Fair Pay to Play Act, that was in 2019. Yeah. And that was a, a state statute where all of a sudden this just got a ton of press and had people up in arms. But California passed a law that said our student athletes should be able to be compensated for their endorsements. Which everyone got up in arms because that would give a huge recruiting advantage to schools in California. Exactly. And, and people thought, you know, if this was upheld, it could it could just spell the end and thought there would be this arms race of next it's going to be Alabama and any any state that didn't pass a similar law was just going to be light years behind everyone else and, and lose all the recruits, which it's kind of, you know, what is happening now with all of these state NIL laws that are being passed and and constantly amended and updated. So we can we can get to that next. But everything really comes to a head. 2021, the famous case of NCAA versus Alston. And this is all the way at the Supreme Court. It's a unanimous decision. And here it's decided that it would be an uh, unfair restraint on trades for the NCAA to limit the benefits that some NCAA student athletes can receive. And the interesting part about this case is it actually wasn't it wasn't directly NIL related. It was about educational benefits. It was about, you know, helping students find internships or giving them a laptop to go to class. Right. And so it's a, in a 9-0 decision, the Supreme Court says, no, we have another antitrust problem here. You can't restrict this. And I think what happens at this point is the NCAA really sees the writing on the wall and says, you know, we're losing a lot of these battles in court they're expensive to litigate and when the court decisions come down it's it's the courts and the plaintiffs who are kind of controlling the direction of where this is going so that is i think what precipitates what you referenced was were this the interim nil policies which the NCAA adopted june 30 2021 effective july 1. and for anybody who's curious i would i would encourage you to go read the interim policy because it is shockingly short i mean there's just very little very little detail which is kind of why we're in the wild west that we're in right that basically we get sued a lot so we're just going to not wash our hands of it but we're not going to issue any directives or any real policy and we're going to leave it to the wait for it the states to figure out how to do this we're going to pretend that we're going to get congress to do something someday but two years later and nothing's coming out of congress so the states kind of went off on their own um including the state of colorado so how did colorado's law kind of compare to how other states were dealing with nil at that point so colorado adopts an nil law like many other states i mean there's still a handful that that don't have anything but the colorado law again if you're curious is is not all that long so even if you're not you know, that interested in leading, reading legal statutes, which I can't blame you if that is not your uh, <laughs> cup of tea, but it's a pretty short, not a ton of detail, and basically just says schools in Colorado are to allow students to 
benefit from their own name, image, and likeness, and the schools can't adopt rules that prohibit them from doing so. There are some nominal reporting requirements, which leads to things like Influencer, which we were talking about before, and other, other platforms like Open Doors is the other big one, where student athletes go in and log, log the deals that they're making with the athletic departments just so they can make sure. And there are protections in the NIL deal in Colorado that are meant to protect what they call school contracts. So if, and this has had been in the news a lot lately too, but if the University of Colorado is a Nike school, they have a contract as an institution with Nike, they want to make sure that students aren't completely overriding that and signing deals with Adidas or Puma or anything like that. Right. Because obviously that Nike deal is a, a lucrative part of the athletic department budget. So kind of crickets at the University of Colorado for some period of time, but a lot of other schools hit the ground running with name, image, and likeness. A couple of the more famous ones, I think the Texas offensive linemen were going to get $50,000 basically for breathing. Um, <laughs> I don't know if they had some deal with some all night buffet or something like that, where they're going to endorse some fried chicken place or something like that. But basically if you're an offensive lineman in Texas, we're going to pay you to be an offensive lineman in Texas. Texas A&M went one better and basically, lack of better terminology, just bought the best recruiting class in the history of 24-7 keeping score of recruiting classes. Right. And then there's the the Jane Rashada debacle is the way I phrased <laughs> it when I sent you an email. Uh, just what, what happened there and how, I mean, what is what happened it wasn't happening at the University of Colorado. There was like, like I say, crickets. It was just silence at the University of Colorado when the NIL first hit in 2021. But the rest of the world was going off in a whole different bunch of tangents. What was going on that we weren't seeing in Boulder? Yeah, I mean, it's just the fascinating, like I said, I think we've both termed it in, in our chats before this as the Wild West, which was that the NCAA issues these very short, sparse interim policies. And there's a lot of guesswork, read between the lines. And so, right, uh, especially in the South, where you'd kind of expect the forefront of, you know, maybe I don't, they've been paying athletes maybe for a little longer. They have some more. <laughs> <laughs> they just made it legal. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Texas, they, there's just this crazy kind of arms race to see how can we really take advantage of this and set ourselves apart and build these powerhouse programs. I think it's fascinating to see. I mean, I think you could, you could definitely say that Boulder was behind some of the leaders, but there are kind of plenty of, of institutions that took a wait and see approach. And personally, I don't know that I can fault them for that because everyone thought the NCAA is going to give us more. There might be some crackdowns some violations. So maybe we don't want to be leading the charge here. Maybe we want to let a couple other people stumble and, and take some notes from there. And the other thing I find fascinating is I think there's a misconception that a lot of these NIL deals, like you referenced, maybe there was a fried chicken place for the offensive lineman, which makes a lot of sense. But a lot of these deals are not necessarily good business deals for whoever is cutting the checks. They're, they're boosters who are saying, I'm making a donation. And, you know, like Buffs for Life is a, is a 501c3. It can be a tax deductible right. a donation rather than you know, necessarily a great marketing play. And so you, you mentioned the Jaden Rashada debacle, which I think is a great descriptor for it. And 
the details of his contract with Florida leaked. This is the $13.8 million deal. And, you know, his obligations under that deal were to sign quote up to 15 things per year, you know? Yeah. That and maybe like a- eight appearances or something like that it was pretty, pretty nominal for a millionaire to uh, have that sort of an obligation. Absolutely. And, and so I think you're starting to see that maybe, they can't they can't get the money for nothing they need to do something but people are always going to try to find this find a way to stretch that and make an appealing deal that says you're going to get 13.8 million dollars and the, the obligations on your end are going to be pretty minimal so it's the wild west i am happy to see see you you know there's there's some momentum now obviously with coach prime showing up and the collectives popping up i do think it's a little unique that there are there are three collectives kind of operating all at once right now Right. We'll see how long how long that lasts, but it's just been a a fun thing to watch, and it's all happening fast. Okay. Well, I just want to back up before we got to the collectives. There was the influencer, and you mentioned another clearinghouse that schools were using with the idea that this maybe is the way we want to have the interactions with outside boosters, or what we would call boosters in the the olden days and the student athletes and i went through that for see with the game and got vetted and you know had to fill out applications and things like that so i could get access to the site and even then not all the student athletes were signed up on the other end um it was about well about a year ago i I did an interview with evan batty and at the time he was probably the most marketable cu athlete you know the mayor of boulder and it was right after the, you know, beating Arizona on senior day and, you know, lots of, but he personally didn't like the idea of profiting. He didn't think that was personally, that wasn't for him, but through KJ Simpson, who I'd interviewed and somebody at the compliance office convinced him to do the interview. So it was like, you know, hard to even get a hold of a student athlete, but now it seems like it's open field that. Um, is your understanding that we I mean is there supposed to be still a wall between potential donors and student athletes, or is it not anybody's rule or regulation that that has to happen? Yeah, I think one, I think everyone's just continuing to get more comfortable with this, you know, be it the student athletes, be it the institutions. But again, that Colorado NIL law actually calls for student athletes are required under that law to record with their athletic department any deal that they enter into. The problem with the statute, I think, is there's no enforcement mechanism. There's no, if you don't, you can't take the deal. If you don't, this happens or that happens. Eligibility or anything like that. So I think I think for some of these athletic departments, it's it's been kind of a tough road to hoe to try to get student athletes who are getting NAL deals coming in just billion different forms from the $13.8 million huge contract with complexity and all that to someone gets in a direct message on their Instagram that says, Hey, will you post one picture and you can come pick up a free sandwich later today? So I just think it's, it's hard to track the schools definitely want to be able to track it for, you know, any number of reasons. One to ensure they're not interfering with any of those school contracts we were talking about earlier, like the Nike one. And two, I think it's really valuable data for the university to have to say, hey, recruit, we have 
X percentage of our student athletes get a deal. Most deals are this size. You know, this is where they're coming from. This is the obligation. And so I think a lot of this just needs to still get ironed out. Yeah. So do you think that the deals like the Jane Rashada $13 million, that's is an outlier now that it's going to be reeled back in? just by the marketplace as opposed to the NCAA or schools or Congress, or anybody else stepping in, it's just going to be, I actually want to get something for my contribution to you. If I pay you, I want to get something back, you know, type of thing is, are we moving in that direction? Does that seem to be the way that the sports world is going at this point with NIL? Another thing I find so fascinating about this, I think it's a great question is there's what people want are if you're actually looking for to make a business deal and, and you think you're going to get whatever it is 13.8 million dollars worth of marketing from your nil deal there are many different ways to be a marketable athlete today whether that's on-field performance one and that's a great way to, to boost exposure but you can also just be a personality and an influencer and have number of tiktok or instagram followers and so that's all part of it too and i think you're seeing a lot of deals where maybe the athlete's not the best on the on the field or on the court, but they have found a really good way to market themselves and have built a following on social media. And that can be worth a lot of money and a lot of eyeballs, especially with, with targeted marketing. And if you're a brand that wants to cater particularly to college age students and fans, I think that can be a great way to do it. But to answer your, your question, I do think I, I don't think we're going to start seeing a ton of $13 million deals. I just don't think the market is there for that. I mean, how many times are there five-star recruits that just don't ever end up panning out to what people think they're going to be? And I, I wouldn't really envy the pressure on an 18-year-old to show up and try to live up to a contract like that. Yeah. And you think it'd make more sense to do something for Caleb Williams, who's a Heisman Trophy winner, as opposed to... 18-year-old freshman that you say pan out and to your what you're commenting about that's kind of the way NIL was sold was that you know it's going to be the gymnast that everybody loves or with the Miami case it was the two twin basketball players female basketball players that had three million followers on Instagram and buying into that and that's how <laughs> Miami got slapped on the wrist um, right yeah, the first NIL uh, real enforcement we've seen, which and was basically nothing. I mean, yeah, and interestingly, you know, they went after the institution rather than the athletes, which I found to be. Yeah, to there be was no punishment for the booster. There's no punishment for the players. They and the, I think the coach self-imposed a three-game ban early in the season, and they just said, "Okay, well, that's that's good enough." So. The idea bearing that the coach itself, I think, set up a dinner or something with the players and the booster. And that was even the NCAA said, well, you're not supposed to be doing that. But we've got all these things going on everywhere else where you got $50,000 offensive linemen in Texas. And that's OK. But two basketball players can't have dinner with the right. booster that's set up by the coach. But then Florida, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, I think is changing the law so that schools can now actually accommodate or facilitate those types of connections between the players and the boosters. Yeah, that's right. And that's, I think, really what I would hope to see is any kind of federal law so we can all be playing by one set of rules because 
like you said, Florida is changing their law to let institutions be more involved in all of these processes. There are proposed amendments in Oklahoma and Texas is working on making changes. And I think what you're going to see is kind of a race to the bottom is what I would call it of, oh, they loosened up their restrictions. Well, let's loosen our restrictions more so we can. Yeah, we can, that, that seems to be that if you don't play with those loose rules, then you're going to fall behind. And that goes all the way back to what you were saying with the California Act that said fair pay. And everybody's like, ooh, well, we can't let California have all the advantages. So we're going to have the same state laws. But before we go to see you specifically, is there anything that you've heard or read about that are actually doing anything on the national level or the NCAA or Congress that we could actually have some uniform rules? Or is it not likely to ever happen? Well, you know, I don't think I need to tell anyone that things have been slow acting in Congress for a while now. <laughs> and there have been a few proposed bills, but last I have looked into it, none of them have made it, you know, even out of the committee stage. So I think, right. unfortunately, we're still a ways away from from federal, from any kind of federal kind of one, one size fits all rule, which I just think is so important for maintaining at least what we see as the NCAA right now. And of course, the NCAA is also, I don't know if you've been following this Johnson versus NCAA case where the NCAA is being sued. So un under the, the premise that student athletes should be treated as employees and should be entitled to a minimum wage. And it's just such an interesting time with so many angles of change. And as we were saying earlier, the NCAA has maybe lost some of its power in the courtroom that it's had in the past with this amateurism model that, you know, maybe was defended earlier, but probably doesn't make a ton of sense. So I just hope, I hope that we can find some way to, to maintain the current status quo while also of course, advancing the interest of athletes. And I think it's interesting, a point you made, and I heard you on an earlier episode talking about, you know, this is what, what NIL was meant to be was allowing, you know, these student athletes who have built a personality and have a following to, to make some money, but I don't think it was meant to be, let's get 17 year olds before they've ever stepped foot on a college campus who can right. offer them the biggest contract. So we'll see what the future holds, but it's definitely a fascinating time. And, you know, the HBC sports law group, we're, we're following it closely and trying to stay up to date. Okay, well, let's bring it back to dear old CU. You mentioned that there are three different collectives, the Buffs for Life. There's the Boulder NIL Club, which I understand because there's like a Eugene NIL Club. It's all like City NIL Club. It's like it's supposed to be player driven or student athlete driven that they've kind of set up their own thing. People make donations and then you can have chat rooms or, you know, other contacts. And then the, the reimagine athletes, I don't know if that's really gotten much traction. It seemed to be a lot of verbiage on the Twitter world, but I don't know. It seems like Buffs for Life is kind of like the the main um, collective in terms of University of Colorado. Now, I remember seeing a an email that they sent out right about Christmas. It only it's only been around for a couple of months. It was just last fall that the collective finally got off the ground, and I think they mentioned they raised like a hundred thousand dollars in the first couple of months. So. You know, around Christmas time, New Year, they were hitting six figures. Now, how does when you talk about millions of dollars going out the door for single players, 
and hundreds of thousands of dollars going for specific units, having a couple hundred thousand dollars in the till doesn't seem like very much. Is that a, a fair assessment of where the University of Colorado is in terms of NIL at this point? Yeah, I, I think, again, it's it's tough to measure against kind of these, the big early adopters who have these these boosters who aren't necessarily looking for a return on their money or anything like that. But I think it's encouraging that you have the collectives popping up and they're raising money and there's just different, there's different methods and models. So the buffs for life is, as I said, a 501c3 it's connected to the buffs for life foundation, which has been around for a while is headed by Lisa Van Gore, who is the great CU women's basketball player, basketball player. And when I was in school, which was, back further than either one of us want to talk about but yes <laughs> and and so i do think they have you know the name recognition and and some they've been around for a while and i think you know especially in boulder it's it's good to tie it to a, a charitable mission and they're they're big in in promoting mental health and i think all of that is great the boulder nil club is more of a subscription model that gives you access so there's exclusive interviews with student athletes or channels or or things like that. And you can sign up for a small monthly subscription, brings in some money, good for the athletes. And it's, I think, another model and approach that, that people are taking. But the interesting one to keep track of, I think, is this Texas A&M, the 12th Man Foundation, if you've been following that at all. And what makes it different is they are able to connected with the athletic department to the point where they're able to offer perks that normally only an athletic department would be able to offer. So if you donate X dollars, you get points that give you priority when you're signing up for season tickets or meet and greets. And so you can get, you know, priority access to tickets, to seats, to experiences based on NIL contributions. And I think that if it's found to be uh, allowable under the NCAA rules and nothing is set back to that. I think that's the future that a lot of schools are going to want to imitate is, is tying more concrete ticket benefits and access benefits to NIL contributions. Okay. Well, it wouldn't be a huge leap for the University of Colorado to adopt that kind of model because there is the CU Foundation. And when you're buying season tickets, you're making a donation to the foundation just to get the rights to buy the tickets. So to add $50 that's going to the NIL fund or whatever, that wouldn't take a whole lot of energy to, to make that happen because the structure is already, already in place. Are, sure. are there any other schools you heard about that's doing something similar to that, or is that uh, just a new thing with Texas A&M? Texas A&M just really rolled it out very recently, but I'm sure it won't be long until others follow. I think the question is, in the early days of NIL, there was some question of how closely associated should the athletic department be to these collectives. And there's been some clarification from the NCAA, but not a ton. So I, I hope that we get more concrete rules that are coming out and, and to kind of clarify. So, but I, my guess is that if this is all deemed to be, to be kosher, I think other schools will, will replicate it. And like you said, I think the infrastructure is probably in place already. Okay. Well, and we wouldn't probably even be having this discussion if there hadn't been a coaching change because CU was so far off the radar of collectives, NIL, I don't know, quality football, anything having to do with anything until Coach Prime came along. And now CU is at the, the forefront of a lot of this stuff. 
Now, Coach Prime has said pretty much to anybody who would ask him that we're not in it for the NIL, we're here for the NFL, which I think is a great tagline. I'll just read his quote for our listeners. This is what he was asked at his, you know, the press conference, and he was asked, well, what are you selling? to recruits. How are you getting them to want to come here? And he said, I'm, I don't sell nothing. It is what it is. One of the first things I said, if you're here for the NIL or here to get rich, we're not the school for you. We're not in it for the NIL. We are here for the NFL. We're here to make you a man. We don't have anything for sale. And then, of course, at the NFL award show, he infamously or famously went on and said, I'm here to recruit and give me all your nephews and your sons. And <laughs> they kind of finished it off by saying, oh, by the way, we don't have any NIL money. So is that what you think that is Coach Prime's, I want to say selling, but you know, is that the philosophy that you think is going to go forward with the University of Colorado? Or is he just saying, well, you know, we have to adopt this philosophy because we really don't have any NIL money to throw around? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. And I think, you know, one, it's so exciting to have Coach Prime here. And really, I don't think any other school in the country has probably seen the, the kind of sea change that we've seen here in such a quick period between, you know, the, the type of recruit and player that you're seeing come to come to town and, and the change in the marketability and the exposure of the program. So it really has been, has been fascinating to watch. And I think he is a marketing genius and things like the NIL versus NFL, I think is great. You know, I, I don't know. I guess I personally don't know that CU could or maybe even would want to be competing in the $13.8 million arms races to get players. I, I think having a coach like Coach Prime, you know, I would argue if you want to build a long-term successful program, you're probably better off going after the players that want to be here because they want to be developed and go to the NFL versus, you know, I, I think if you're really trying to play with, with the big dogs on the money, given the status of the transfer portal and all that, it could be pretty temporary. You know, we, we have $4 million for you this year. Oh, you had a breakout year. Now someone else has $5 million for you. So, you know, I just don't know under the current rules, if you want to build a sustainable program and you don't have, the piggy bank of some of, of the big players that it's probably a better way to build a, a long-term successful program to go after the NFL versus NIL uh, recruiting method. Yeah. No, I, I think it's pretty shrewd marketing in the sense of, yeah, mamas and papas, uncles, whoever the influencers are for the, the high school recruits. It's like, yeah, if you want to go chase the money, that's fine. But our product is going to the NFL where they're going to make some real money and they're going to earn it. Uh, you know, that sounds like a pretty good pitch when you don't have the NIL money to work with. But Coach Prime, everything he does, everything he eats, everything he wears is on TV, on video. Everything's recorded. I was just asking because it looked, you know, they had the uh, Coach Prime docu-series, you know, for Jackson State last year. And his son, the quarterback, Shadur, was prominently featured and Travis Hunter was prominently featured. And my guess is that they were paid for participating in this series. And you see a lot of the videos now, there's like the day in the life of Travis Hunter and things like that. It seems like they're going to do a season of University of Colorado following Coach Prime around and access because they're going to be filming things in the locker room. They're going to be filming things in the weight room. 
is it a problem potentially legal wise that the coach might be generating dollars for the players i like what he's doing i appreciate what he's doing because he's you know it's not going through the traditional if anything can be traditional after 18 months you know the the normal nil will just pay you a bunch of money and you stay at our school it's like i can i am such a media magnet that my presence can include you in my sphere of influence you can make money off of me off of coach prime is there any potential problems because cu tends to get yelled at more than other schools when you're going all the way back to player you know i, I can't afford to eat and stuff like that you know i don't know if you've heard the story i mean CU got dinged for having a, a recruit's brother be fed he came for an official visit and his parents couldn't come. He came with his brother and they didn't have any money to feed the brother. So CU fed the son, but the under NCAA rules for an official visit, you couldn't feed the son and CU got dinged for that. So CU has a history of getting dinged for weird NCAA violations. How do you see Coach Prime kind of maybe making money for, for his players through his influence do you think that's going to run afoul with anybody or think that's just a shrewd way of actually finding some dollars to student athletes without uh, going through the nil process yeah i think it's a great question and uh, you know again we're operating off of such a thin you know in terms of concrete rules or precedent on any sort of nil violations there's just so little to go off of it's hard to say with any any concrete level but you know i think to the extent that it seems pretty organic and that you know he's not cutting deals with students but he is increasing the exposure and there's the amazon prime docuseries and so i i do see that as a good way for cu to organically have some nil money coming in from you know if you owned i don't know any sort of a t-shirt company you get a couple cu players signed up just at the hopes that maybe they show up in the background of one of these episodes or something and right you know, like you said, maybe that deal probably doesn't come around if Coach Prime's not around, but it's not, you know, I don't, I don't, as long as no one's saying like, hey, Coach Prime, make sure this guy's standing behind you and we'll give you a little piece of the action or something like that. You know, I, I don't foresee the NCAA being, you know, dropping the hammer on something like that. It just seems that given what's going on in the courtroom and kind of the the ground that the NCAA is standing on right now, it doesn't seem so far that they are in a super litigious mood. So we'll see, uh, <laughs> yes. we'll see what happens, but Brother, I think it's yeah. such an interesting time. Yeah. I played the little hammer on my university of Miami for, you know, <laughs> yeah. a nominal violation. Well, what are you and Hutchinson black and cook doing or wanting to do? What is your, your relationship or what do you want to have your relationship going forward? What uh, are you planning or hoping to do with the University of Colorado to help CU and its student athletes? Yeah, so like I said, I mean, we're an office full of CU alums, CU super fans, CU season ticket holders. And so, you know, just being part of this community, we've had a lot of experience in the past working with CU, CU students, CU student athletes. And so what we're what we're hoping to do is is work, you know, even on a pro bono basis with some CU student athletes just to review some NIL deals, make sure that, you know, no one's being taken advantage of. There were, there were examples early on, not CU specific, but just NIL deals that were being reported on where 
you know, maybe the term was some player that was a sure NFL was going to sign away 10 years of their likeness, you know, for, for not that much money given what they were probably worth long-term right. or, you know, uh, a worldwide royalty free, you know, enduring license to use your image. So just a quick review, we, we'd love to be able to help CU student athletes review these NIL deals and, and make sure that everything is, is square. And it's really been, we launched this sports law group officially recently, just based on something we have a lot of interest in, especially with the changing landscape here. But we have a lot of experience over the years in dealing with professional athletes in the kind of the Olympic scene around Boulder, dealing with, obviously we have a well-known Title IX practice. So that's been a big part of, of our history here. Leveraging our experience in a more targeted way in the sport law world. So we're excited about it and we'd like to be available for as a resource as the NIL continues to change and particular for CU. Okay. Well, very good. Well, I think we'll, we'll leave it at that. Let the buff fans go back to hopefully what is turning into spring instead of just a long endless winter, but uh, thank you for your time and, uh, and go buffs. Go buffs. Thanks for having me on. I think it's a, uh, again, just such an exciting time. So we'll, we'll see and, you know, hoping for a big season from the buffs with coach prime and all these changes. So go buffs. Thank you. Thank you both for listening to the podcast and for being a member of the buff nation, which is finally being rewarded for its loyalty. I hope that you are subscribing to the podcast so that you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We have partnered with mile high sports and are pleased to be part of their podcast network. As always, you can find the See What the Game podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other podcast sites. Or, if you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all of the episodes can be listened to at the See What the Game website. I will be back soon with Neil and Brad, and we will start looking ahead to Spring Practices 2023 along with all the other news of the day with respect to Coach Prime's buffs. So, until then, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to seeyouatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.